You may be seated. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd love for you to join me in Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. Uh, title of the message this morning is Life in the Balance. Life in the Balance. Uh, for our guests this morning, I want to welcome you to Maysville Baptist Church. Uh, you should notice in the seat pocket in front of you, there should be a little yellow card. If you're our guest today, if you'll pull out that yellow card, fill out the front and the back, and then at the end of the service, if you'll turn that in, uh, there at the Welcome uh, Center, there's a gift I want to give you just to say thank you for being here today. So I'm delighted that our guests are with us, and we're glad that you're here. We are going through the book of Ecclesiastes. We started at chapter 1, and uh, we'll make our way all the way through to chapter number 12. It's important to understand that Solomon, in this experiment, uh, the context of, that he, of which he is writing, why is he writing in the context he's writing in? Uh, remember, Solomon was a man after God's own heart. You'll recall that, and you'll remember that uh, in our Bibles, uh, we have three books written by Solomon. Uh, we have uh, the Proverbs, we also have the Song of Songs, and then we also have the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, we've kind of went through this just to introduce you uh, for our new guests that are here that are coming in for the first time uh, so that you'll get the context. Because if you miss the context on Ecclesiastes, you will walk away a very pessimistic individual. Uh, because it, it is, uh, well, one commentator put it this way. So the book of Ecclesiastes is the resident alien of the Bible. And the reason why it's the resident alien is because, no, David, nobody wants to touch it. <clears throat> because it, it can be a very pessimistic book. Now, it's important to understand that the reason why it's so pessimistic is because when Solomon was young and he loved the Lord and his heart was dedicated to the Lord, he wrote the Proverbs. And we have such beautiful Proverbs that he's written. And, and then when he got a little bit older and fell in love, we know that uh, Solomon at that time uh, fell in love and uh, he wrote the Song of Songs and in the Song of Songs, if you haven't read that, that'll bless your heart. Uh, so are you ever going to preach a series on that? Yes, but not today. And so, thank you for that amen, brother. And so uh, uh, there, there he wrote the Song of Solomon when he was in love. And then he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Some say when he was in his 80s. So he was an older man. And uh, somewhere when he wrote the Song of Solomon and when he wrote Ecclesiastes, he walked away from the Lord. Now, I don't mean that he was lost. I, I mean that he stopped looking to the Lord. He, he forgot about the Lord. As a matter of fact, the Bible uh, tells us there that when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he did this great experiment. And the experiment that he did was, he's going to try everything in this life. He says, under the sun. He's going to try everything under the sun to find fulfillment and satisfaction in this world. And so what Solomon does is he goes out on this adventure and he tries all these different things. He, he tries laughter, the Bible says, and he tries lust, and he tries liquor, and he tries all these things in his life. He tries to fill up his life with everything but God. And the conclusion that he comes to is that it's all vanity. Now, the word vanity is a fascinating book because it's located all through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, the word vanity uh, means meaninglessness. Uh, it, it, it means, um, I like what one commentator, Pete Peterson, uh, wrote. He says it means smoke. You know, it's all here for a little while and it disappears. Uh, one commentator says that the word uh, vanity also was a direct tie to false idols. 
It's idols, it's idols, it's all idols. You worship at the idol, at these idols, and it's, it's vexation of spirit. The word vexation of spirit, uh, one, one commentator means, it said it means like you're spitting in the wind. That'll bless your heart, won't it? You ever spit in the wind when the wind's real strong? Messy, messy. And that's what he's saying. It's messy. You try to live your life without God, it's going to be messy. And so he, he tries all these things. And then last week we were in chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 11. Uh, and we, we came to the conclusion that there is a time for everything. In fact, the sermon title last week was, uh, it, it's all about time. Our time is of the essence. And he goes into this, probably one of the most familiar passages of the scripture in Ecclesiastes, about a time for everything. And then we find ourselves here in verse number 16 of chapter 3. If you found your place, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? Now, it's important that you understand <clears throat> that when he uses the term moreover, he's calling our attention back to something that he's already said. And what he wants our attention to be on is, is this phrase in Ecclesiastes chapter number 3 in verse 11, where the scripture says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Meaning, whatever, whatever the devil intended for evil, God intended it for good. And the way that you look at your challenge, your situation, your perspective and your attitude is vitally important. In fact, some have said this, your attitude is what determines your blessing. So he says he makes all things uh, beautiful in his time. Here's the phrase that we've got to keep in our hearts contextually. He hath set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning of the end. S simply put, you know your birthday, but you don't know your death day. Okay? And so he says, he hath put the world. The word world, there's a Hebrew term that means eternity. God has put eternity in your heart. And you don't know when you're going to die, but you are going to live forever. Alright, there's the context Verse 16, watch this. And moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. I, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I, I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them, that they that, and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men falleth beasts. Every one thing befalleth them. As the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above the beast. For all is vanity. All go into one place. All have, or, or, excuse me, all are of the dust. And all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Wherefore, I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own work, for that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? You may be seated for prayer. Uh, Lord, this passage right here is uh, one of the hardest Old Testament passages to get our minds around. In the name of Jesus, I pray that we would not look at it with our minds, but we would look at it with our hearts. And Lord, by faith, 
see that your word is true. And Lord, as your word is true, in the name of Jesus, I pray that if there's someone here, like this morning in the first service, that doesn't know you as their Savior, today would be the day they'd get saved. Lord, I pray you'd redeem time to us this morning, because it's going to go by really fast. And Lord, I pray you'd speak to our hearts this morning. We love you, and we thank you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever heard this uh, phrase, or maybe you've even said it, life's hard. How about this fun one? Life is hard, and then you die. That'll, that'll bless you, won't it? Uh, how about this phrase? Life is not fair. Uh, several uh, nights ago, um, I was in my room, and I was sitting on the couch, and uh, Miriam was uh, uh, doing some homework in the room, and uh, one of my sons came in the room, and as one of my sons came in the room, um, they were a little bit distraught, a little bit upset, and uh, the reason why they were upset, Sam, is because uh, n nobody would pass uh, him the basketball, and, and they're all ball hogs, and he was crying to his mother that they're all ball hogs. They, they won't pass me the ball. I, I can't do it. And Miriam's patting him on the, on the head and says, well, you need to go over there and see your daddy. He, go see your daddy. He'll, 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 he'll help you. And he said, no, he won't. He'll tell me to get over it. He, he'll say, life is hard. Get over it. Uh, I'm notorious for telling my children that. Uh, but sure enough, he came over and, and uh, you know, Miriam said... Uh, Go see your daddy, and you know she looks up at me. And when those, when the eyebrows, when, when the eyebrows go up, go see your dad, and he will have sympathy towards you. Can, can I do a little marriage counseling right now this morning? Anytime your wife, you watch her eyebrow when they go up like that, and she looks at you. Could, could I, here's you. I'm gonna save you a headache, okay? Just do what she says. The women's director is giving me a clap on that thing, right? <laughs> so here's Solomon. And Solomon, what's saying is life is hard. And then you die. As a matter of fact, when you read this text, there are three things that just kind of jump off off the page that I hope you'll carry with you today. I hope it'll be a benefit to you. There are three things that I see here that uh, we need to take note of. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice, Solomon talks about in verse 16 and 17. He says the world's out of balance. The world is out of balance. And in looking at this world, and remember, he's talking about the world under the sun. He's talking about a world without God. We have to keep that in mind. We have to all continue, when we read the book of Ecclesiastes, know that Solomon is not drawing his final conclusions at this point of the letter. Solomon is not going to draw his final conclusions until chapter 12. Now, he is going to draw some conclusions here. But the conclusions that he's going to draw at this stage are the conclusions that he's going to draw under the sun. Because my life is void of God, here's what I've come to. Here's the conclusion or one simple conclusion that I've come to. And notice, I want you to notice in regards to the world being out of balance, he said he points out three systems that he looked at. He looked at three systems. The first system he looked at was the judicial system. He looked at the judicial system first. Notice what the scripture says. The Bible tells us here in the text, in verse number 16, And moreover, <clears throat> I saw under the sun the place of judgment. That wickedness was there. He simply says that I've looked out 
into the court systems across the land where Solomon exists. And he says there's corruption there. Now I want you to listen to me very carefully. I thank God that not every judge is corrupt. As a matter of fact, we ought to be in sincere prayer for our judicial judges, our magistrate judges in Jackson County, as well as in our surrounding area. I am so grateful to God that we have, even as members of this church, people that work in those institutions, in our judicial system, and I thank God that they're not living their life under the sun. They're living their life above the sun with Jesus Christ. And the conclusion that they can come to in their life is that they're exercising righteousness in the ministry that God's given them. But that wasn't the case with Solomon. Solomon looked out along the land. And by the way, that's not the case in every American city either. There's some injustice that's out there. Uh, when you think about what's happened uh, through the course of our history as Americans, Roe versus Wade. I- I'm going to tell you what. We ought to have a righteous indignation and be the voice to the voiceless. As a matter of fact, uh, we ought to be praying for the Supreme Court justice nominee, nominee that President Trump's going to request that he'll be or she'll be a man or a woman of righteousness that has a life above the sun and that will execute judgment in a righteous way. And so Solomon says, but wait a minute, I've looked around and there's some things in the judicial system that's wrong. As a matter of fact, let me call your attention to the text. The Bible says here that he looked there at the Justice Department in the place of judgment and he saw wickedness was there. The word wickedness there means that there were judges sitting on the judgment bench and they were making proclamations against the righteous. Right was now wrong. Wrong was now right. And I'm telling you, if we don't have a revival in the United States of America, we're going to find ourselves in a very similar circumstance and situation. You say, well, how, how are we going to have revival in the land? I'll tell you how we're going to have revival in our land. When we get brokenhearted for lost people and we really dedicate our heart and souls and lives to following the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ, and listen, we start forgiving our neighbors for trespassing on our property, or we start, for, start forgiving our neighbors for doing something against us, and, and listen, we love them and show them Jesus as what a true Christian looks like. And you might say, well, wait just a minute, preacher. You don't know what so-and-so's done to me. No, but I know what you did to Jesus. So there's a great corruption in the judicial system, he says. But watch this. Not only does he talk about the judicial system, he also says that the world's out of balance in the ecclesiastical system. Watch this. He goes on to say in the text, look at what he says in verse 16. He says, not only did I go to the judicial system or the place of judgment and find that there was wickedness, I went to the place of righteousness... That iniquity was there. Now, I don't know, if you mark in your Bibles, I'd underline that word iniquity because it's the same Hebrew word for wickedness. And as a matter of fact, it means the same thing. So we find a, a, it's a simile. It's a word, or not a, a simile, it's a, a, what am I trying to say, Miriam? A what? A synonym. That's my English teacher right over there. I'm so grateful for her synonym. Uh, we talked about similes this week in staff meeting. A simile... Uh, is a phrase that uses like or as. Right, yeah. It says, uh, good, I get an A. Will you put a little smiley face on it? With Okay, thank you, honey. All right. So he says, I go into the, I go into the church. I'm, now I'm going into the religious institutions of our day. And when I get to the religious institutions, you know what I find? He says, I find wickedness. 
He means there, that he's saying that there are preachers that are climbing into the pulpit of his day just as they're climbing into the pulpit of this day and they're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're preaching wickedness. They're, they're preaching all these different things to benefit them. Not to mention those ministers that fall by grace now, or fall from grace. Now when I say that, I don't mean lose their salvation. What I mean is that they lose their testimony. They lose their ministry because they do something dumb. Now, l- listen to me. Every one of us here today are one step away from being dumb. Now, I normally use the S word right there. Uh, but I know there's children present. And anytime you use the word, uh, you know, st- stupid, they think the preacher's saying a bad word and cussing. So we just use the word dumb. Okay, is that, is that better? Does that help you? Dumb. All the parents are going, thank, thank you, preacher, finally. Okay, so we're all one step away from dumb. How, how do we protect ourselves from being dumb? You stay in the Word of God. Now look, you're going to do some dumb things. But I want watch this now. The devil, here's what the devil does. You know the devil's got all the time in the world. All the time in the world. And Keith, what the devil wants to do is he wants to lay a trap and walk away. And that trap will stay there. Sometimes it'll stay there weeks. Sometimes it'll stay there months. Sometimes it'll stay there years. And if he can convince you to walk down that path where that trap is, and you fall down that trap, it can be detrimental to our testimony. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be detrimental to your salvation, because, listen, once you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says nothing can separate you from the love of God. No height, no depth, no things present, nor things to come. Nothing can separate you from God's love. So once you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you're saved and secure. But Solomon, listen, Solomon, he loved God. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. But what happened to him? What happened was he stopped paying attention to the things of God. He stopped paying attention to the things of the Word of God, and he began to walk away. He slowly faded away from God. And you look at these preachers today that have fallen, and some we've placed up on pedestals. And man, they have fallen hard. And our hearts are broken. And we think, man, I I thought they were better than that. Now listen to me. I don't know if you realize this or not. But I put my britches one leg at a time, just like you did this morning. You know, I suffer from the same challenges and the same temptations that you suffer from. And do you know that if it weren't for God's grace and God working in my life, I could find myself in a very similar circumstance or situation because we are all fighting the devil. Every one of us. We've got to, listen, I was sharing with our men Wednesday night. We've got to understand that, listen, your spouse is not the enemy. You've got to understand your children's not the enemy. The enemy is the devil. And the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can do those three things, if he can do one of those things in your life and make you feel like God's grace cannot save you, then he's done his job. But i got news for him and for you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And watch this. Judy, God's not just a God of a second chance. He's a God of another chance. And so, listen, you may be here today and maybe you've messed things up royally in your life. 
And maybe this is, I don't, maybe this is the 14th time you finally got plugged into church and, and you're finally here. You say, this is going to be the time. Listen to me very carefully. It ain't going to be the time if you don't surrender to Jesus. It's just going to be one more time in a series of failures in your circle of life. You've got to completely surrender to God. That is what his problem was here in this passage of Scripture. Solomon didn't fully surrender to God. So he said, I'm going to try to fill up my life with all these things in this world. And he tried everything and he said, it's vanity and vexation of spirit. So he says, listen, this world's out of balance. It's out of balance in the judicial system. It's out of balance in the ecclesiastical system. And then watch this. But he says, but wait. There's one more system he points to, and he points to it in such a way that it is in balance. Here's the system that is in balance. Look at what he says here in the text. The Bible says in verse number 17, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. He talks about the theological system. He simply says, one day God is going to judge righteously. He said, I looked in my heart and I said in my heart that God's going to judge it. God's going to be the righteous judge. He's going to be the judge that's going to stand in the gap. He's going to be the judge that's going to make these calls. He's going to be the judge that brings everything back together. He's going to be the judge that takes care of it all. If you have your Bibles, turn over to 2 Thessalonians. This is exactly what Paul was talking about over in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible, excuse me, let, cast your eye down to verse number 6. He says, seeing it is a righteous thing for God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Did you hear what Paul's saying? Paul says, listen, here's the fact of the matter. God is going to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. He's going to be the one that's going to get even. <clears throat> Look at what he says in verse 7. And to you who are troubled, <clears throat> and <clears throat> rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that, that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Remember, what, what is Paul saying? Paul's saying the same thing Solomon said. He's saying there's coming a day, there's coming a time when God the righteous judge is going to judge everybody. Remember what Solomon said? Solomon said, God has put eternity in our hearts. And because God has put eternity in our hearts, He is going to be the righteous judge. And the righteous judge, just, as if, just like there's the law of gravity, there's also the law of God. And in regards to the law of God, He is going to execute judgment in a form of justice. He will judge justly. I heard a, read a story this week about the Supreme Court Justice Horace Gray. Supreme Court Justice Horace Gray once informed a man who had appeared before him in a lower court who was guilty, and he knew he was guilty. He got out on a technicality. So Supreme Court uh, Horace Gray told the man this. He said this, and I quote, <clears throat> I know that you're guilty, <clears throat> and you know that you're guilty. And I wish you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge. And that there you'll be dealt with according to justice 
not according to the law. Uh, many years ago, I was uh, in Carrollton, uh, and I was going to my house. And uh, as I was going to my house, I was driving, and uh, I got a confession to make. Uh, I was driving a little fast. I'm guilty. I was guilty. And so uh, I was heading home. I got pulled over by a Carrollton City Police officer, and he was so kind. He walked up to me and uh, rolled the window down. He said, you know why I pulled you over? And I said, yeah, I know why you pulled me over. Uh, speed limits, such and such, and I, and I was doing such and such. He says, where are you going? I said, well, I'm, I'm going home. I just want to go home. And he said, uh, he said no, I, I, I know you. He said, can I, can I see your license? And then my license got to the car. And he brought me back a ticket. And he said, you're, you're, one of the, you're one of those pastors over at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. I know who you are. And he handed it to me, the ticket. And I said, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, got back to the church. And uh, one of my church members who worked at the Carrollton Police Department uh, was there, or was at church. Well, he come up to me and he said, I heard officer and so-and-so wrote you a ticket. And I said, yeah, I said, I was, I was speeding. He said, oh, okay. And he left it at that. Well, when I got home that, after that Sunday morning, it, this is the age where you still had uh, answering machines. How many, have, how many of you had an answering machine in your life? All the old people. <laughs> we had an answering machine. So hit the answering machine. Come in the house, hit the answering machine. Here's what the message was. It said, beep. Uh, yeah, Mr. Robertson, uh, this is uh, Officer So-and-so with the uh, police department in um, uh, Carrollton. said, I, I want to, uh, first of all, apologize to you for pulling you over. He says, I, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to, to, to cause you any harm or any discomfort or dismay. I, I wanted to ask you to please forgive me. And uh, that ticket that I wrote you, would you please just, just don't, don't worry about that ticket. Uh, it's all, it'll all be just... Just fine. Thank you so much. God bless you, and I hope to see you in church soon. Bye. I hung up the phone. Well, come to find out, I was like, what in the world happened here? Because I'm going to pay the ticket. I'm guilty. So what's happening here? And uh, went back to the church the next week, and <laughs> what had happened was the officer in the church went to that officer and read him the right act, told him he's going to go to hell if he didn't fix it. <laughs> okay, so here's one more, and i got to go. i got to hurry. I got I got a fish. I'm going to Luther Rice one day. I'm in my truck, and I'm late. I'm always late for school. I was always late for school, but I'm trying to get from Carrollton to Lithonia, and it's pretty much I-20 all the way. <clears throat> and so I'm just getting it. Well, um, it's morning. I've only had one cup of coffee, Danny, and I'm in the HOV lane by myself, speeding. I get the radar on me. All right. Doom, I'm tagged. And uh, here they come, blue lights running. So, <laughs> I'm so dumb. So here I am. I'm in the HOV lane, I-20. State patrolman's behind me. The lights come on. Double lines on the HOV lane. I'm in there by myself. And what do I do? I cross the double lines. I go all the way over traffic. And I pull up. <laughs> this I'm telling the truth. And I pull over. Well, I'm going to tell you what the state patrolman, he's racking up. He's going, ting. I mean, he just got it all. And so he comes up to me, and I get a laundry list, some $400 worth of citations that day. I said, do you know who I am? <laughs> he 
He said, I don't care. And did you know I had to pay that thing? I did. I had to pay it. One, listen to me. One day, one day, we will stand before God. And we will be judged according to justice. Not according to law. The world is out of balance. Number two. Let me show you a second thing that Solomon does here. Watch this. Number two. The second thing he says here is life hangs in the balance. Life hangs in the balance. Look in verse number 18, if you would. Uh, The Bible goes from 18 all the way down to verse number 21. Solomon is giving us some insight into this life that we're living, hanging in the balance of an unbalanced life. Notice what he says there in the text, in verse 18. He said, "I, I said in my heart concerning the estates of the sons of men, that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. Now let me pull up right there. Here, here's something that uh, you might be noticing, you might have thought of. This, was, this is one of the reasons it makes this the hardest passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. When you read that and you take that at face value, you have the potential of walking away going, that's evolution. Right, right there it is. Man is no better than the beast. He's no better than the animals. They're, they're all the same. At face value, that's what you see when you, get, when you get to this part of this passage of Scripture. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. It's so vitally important that we understand there's only one interpretation of the Bible. When you read the Bible, only one interpretation. Any text that's taken out of its context is called a pretext. And when you have a pretext, you can make that verse, that text, say anything you want it to say. So if I just take this passage of Scripture, as a matter of fact, if I just take verses... Um, Well, if I take verses 18 all the way down to verse number 21, I can build a whole theology on anthropology concerning man and beast. You do that. And many have. Here's the problem. The problem is he's not talking about evolution here. As a matter of fact, let me show you a couple things about this verse if I could. When you come to this passage of Scripture, uh, you cannot help but notice the word manifest. You see the word manifest in the text? Let's look at it again. He says in verse 18, And I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them. The word manifest here in the Hebrew is a simple term that means to make clear. That's important that you get that. Because that's the key that unlocks this verse. So he says that in this text, the point that he's making here is that God allows human injustice to exist in this world in order to make it clear to us that we're just like animals in the sense we're going to die. That's what he's saying in the text. Uh, Solomon is not saying that man and beast are the same. He's not saying that there's no difference between man and beast. He's not saying, or, or, and he's not saying that all dogs go to heaven. Now listen to me. Some of you here this morning, that's the only thing you heard me say. So here's a verse for you. Psalms 36, 6. Psalms 36, 6. Do, do dogs go to heaven? I don't know. You study Psalms 36.6 and get back with me and see what you think. Mark Lowry says yes. I'm not so sure at this. I do know this. I know there's horses in heaven. But wouldn't it be good to get to heaven and Chopper was there? Or Fluffy or Scooby-Doo or, or whoever animal you got there? Are, are you glad you came this morning? <laughs> so I don't know. 
I'm not sure. Look at that person beside you and say, I'm glad. Go ahead, look at them and say, I'm glad. I don't live with shame. <clears throat> okay. You with me? Say amen. Oh, good. I'm glad you're with me. So here he goes. He's simply saying that here's the, here's the similarities between man and animals. We both die. We both die. That's the only similarities he's saying in this text. Now, there are two critical truths that you can't get away from in this passage. Let me show them to you. Truth number one. Death is imminent. Death is imminent. When you read verses 18, 19, 20, and 21, you cannot help but walk away and know that death is imminent. You could die at any moment. The fact is, you know your birthday, but you don't know your death day. When we were growing up, we used to play tag, you're it. And tag, you're it, you'd run around, one person was it, they'd tag somebody, once they tag it, they became it. And then it ran around, tried to tag somebody else, and then once they tagged somebody else, tag, they were it. And so tag your it was simply this. You were chased by it until it tagged you. And then once it tagged you, you became it. It's the same thing with death. Death is chasing you, yet once death chases you, you're no longer it. You're dead. And so what he's saying here in this text is, is death is imminent. It could happen at any moment. You don't know the date. You don't know the hour. You don't know the situation. But you know this. One day, you're going to die. As a matter of fact, we know this to be true. As we think about death, take your Bibles and, and, and find Romans chapter number 5. In Romans chapter number 5, in verse number... Uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12 is what I'm looking for here. Somebody's been messing with my Bible. Where is it at? There it is. Look at what the Scripture says. Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Death is chasing every one of us. And he's chasing every one of us because of, because of sin. And the sin that we find here in this text that we're saying that sin came from Adam, yet Adam passed sin down to us. And because of sin, we all die. But then watch this. Death is not the end. Hebrews chapter 9, in verse number 27. In Hebrews 9.27, the scripture says, And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So you take those two New Testament principles, or truths. You couple them, if you would, and let them interpret Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, we find that Solomon says, God, in verse number 11, has put eternity in our heart. Yet one day we're going to die. Knowing we're going to die and knowing that God put eternity in our hearts, we know that this world is not the end. If this world is not the end, when we die, just as the animals die, when we die though, we're going to see God. And when we stand before God, there's going to be a judgment. And so what he's saying here in the text is not only is death imminent, but he's saying a second thing we cannot avoid, and, and that is life after death is certain. Notice what he says in verse number 21 again. He says, Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? We find here he's just simply asking the question, Who can know about the resurrection? <clears throat> if God has put eternity in our hearts, who can know about it? Can you know about it? No. Can I know about it? No. 
Who can know about the resurrection? Only God himself. God's the only one that can know about the resurrection. And in his knowledge of the resurrection, the point that he's making in verse 31 is most of us behave as if there's endless time at the close of our life in death. We might just continue to fill out God's purpose when we die and get to heaven on our good works. No, no. All of your good works are as filthy rags. He said, if there's injustice in the court system, if there's injustice in the church house, then there's injustice in the hearts of mankind. And that injustice is penetrated from the point of sin. And when you die, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. The point is simply this. Where are you going to spend an eternity, Solomon says? Where are you going? Even in the Old Testament. He's calling us to Jesus. So the question then is what determines our destination? What is it that determines our destination? And not only that, but not only does what determines if we go to heaven or if we go to hell after we die, can you know where you're going to spend an eternity? That's the question we're faced with when we walk away from Ecclesiastes in this section. And i got good news for you today. If, if we're going to let the Word of God speak for itself, then we have got to turn then, if that's the question, to 1 John chapter 5 in verse number 13. Boy, if you don't have this highlighted in your Bibles, I, I hope that you'll get this. because th- This is good, man. This is good stuff from God. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5 in verse 13, These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Can, can I just say this? When I was breaking the law, I knew I was breaking the law, James. I knew it. I was looking down. I know I'm running a little bit fast. And it's one thing to break the civil law that you and I are under in the land. But it's something totally different to break the law of God. And by breaking the law of God, by saying, you know what, I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to do it my way, I'm not, listen, I don't need this Jesus, I don't need this. Don't say, listen, you've just separated yourself from God and you will spend an eternity in hell. You see, while you're alive, your life hangs in the balance. While you're living... Today's the day of salvation. <clears throat> Now's the time for you to get saved. You're not going to die and stand before God and go, Oh, you know what? That preacher was right. He was right. I'm ready to do that now. I'm ready to do that now, God. I, I didn't know then, but I know now. No, listen. It's too late. God is a righteous judge. Give us in this life all that we need for salvation today. Today's the day of salvation. When you think about that story in the Bible, the rich man in Lazarus, there was Lazarus and he woke up in hell. Or, the, excuse me, the rich man that woke up in hell. You remember that story? And as the rich man woke up in hell, he begged Father Abraham, please, please, send somebody, send somebody and go tell my brothers that this is a real place. Please go tell them. And what did Abraham say? They got, they got the preachers. They got the preachers. You can't leave and go tell them. 
So today's the day of salvation, dear friend. Your life hangs in the balance between heaven and hell. Only Jesus Christ can bring you that balance. You might say, well, how, how in the world do I have this balance? How do I have the balance? Well, first thing you've got to do is you've got to recognize you're a sinner. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, this morning, little Jeremiah Prince was baptized. Several, uh, several weeks ago, he was in my office. And as he was in my office, uh, we were talking about sin. And I said, Jeremiah, you know what sin is? He says, yeah, it displeases God. And here's what we just said. Here's a simple illustration I've learned through the years that everybody can understand what sin is. Sin is anything you say with your mouth, anything you hear with your ears, anything you do with your hands, anything you see with your eyes, or anywhere your feet might go that would be displeasing to God. That'll lead you to sin. He says, oh, yes, I, I'm a sinner. I recognize that. I know that I am a sinner. If your life hangs in the balance and you want to know for sure where you're going to heaven, you want to know that for sure, just as the Scripture says, you've got to first recognize you're a sinner. Number two, the second thing is, you've got to understand the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Because of sin, you're going to die. Because of sin, I'm going to die. We're going to die because of sin. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, 8, but God, oh, I love that conjunction. It was God that commended His love towards us. That is, He demonstrated how much He loved us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, John three sixteen, the most well-known passages of all the earth, that uh, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only way to heaven. In this latter part of Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Someone might say, well, how might I get this eternal life, Pastor? How might I get it? If my life hangs in the balance, how might I get this eternal life? Romans chapter 10, verse 9. The Scripture says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says this. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so when you call upon the name of the Lord by faith and you call upon Jesus Christ and recognize that you're a sinner, know that Jesus took your place on Calvary's cross. When he died, he died for you. And when he rose again, he rose again victoriously that we might have eternal life. When you recognize that and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the scripture is true. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You say, Preacher, how do you know you're going to heaven? Because I'm walking after the Spirit. I'm not walking after the flesh. Now, does that mean I don't sin? No, of course I sin. But I've been washed in the blood. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. Oh, I love this one too. This is, this is probably my second favorite uh, to 1 John 5, 13. Uh, we find that Paul just simply says in the book of Romans, For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, no height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. You want to know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. You've got to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Life hangs in the balance. 
So if the world's out of balance, life hangs in the balance, what's the third thing that Solomon is telling us here in the text? Just simply this, verse 22. He simply says, a life lived in balance produces joy. A life lived in balance produces joy. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 22. He says, wherefore, or therefore, or here's, I'm about to go into something new, but here's what i got to say about this matter. I perceive that there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own work. For that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? I love this verse. I love this verse because the Hebrew word in the text, rejoice, uh, only has one definition. And that definition is to be happy. He just simply says here in the text, in the midst of this miserable life where life is not fair and then you die, in the midst of this, we have been given a portion. And that portion that's been given to us, we ought to be happy with it. You may not live where you thought or imagined that you were going to live when you were a child. But you live where you live. Be happy. You may not be working at the job you thought that you're going to be working in. But God's given you that job. That's your portion. You need to choose to be happy. You see, what Solomon is saying here in the text is it's important that you and I understand that we choose to be happy with what God's given us. And in choosing to be happy, he tells us in the text that you have been given, if you will, this portion. That word portion there means that there's some limitations of this life. It's like uh, you inherited a piece of property. Or you bought a piece of property. It's a nice piece of property. But you let that property go untended. The same thing with a garden. I love gardens. I love having a garden. I, uh, I live over there close to the Oconee uh, River. And uh, I live on the swamp side over that, over in that area. But uh, uh, a lot of deer. I mean a lot of deer. I, and I love my garden. But the deer love my garden more. They do. They love it more than I do. And uh, they'll eat that thing. And them vegetables ain't even cooked. I mean, they just eat it up. I mean, it doesn't matter what they are. I, I first year I was here, I planted all 90 foot. I had a 90 foot garden. Man, I planted all kind of stuff. Man, I fed them deer everything you can think of. I fed them corn and peas and... Uh, uh, they didn't touch the tomatoes for some reason. They didn't like the tomatoes that year. I said, well, I'm going to get them jokers. I'll tell you what I'm going to do the second year. I'm going to plant a garden full of tomatoes. Well, guess what? When they ain't got nothing to eat but tomatoes, they, let's go, they're going to eat tomatoes. I ain't never been so aggravated in my life. And man, I've tried everything. I've put human hair around the garden. I've done other things I can't mention from the pulpit around the garden. I mean, I've tried everything. I, I even got them little, little little wires. I got little wires, little stakes, and, and I put these little pie pans on there. You know, I put the pie pans on them, on zip ties, and when the wind blows, zzz, zzz, they, they looked at that and laughed. And they ate everything. And so what did I do? I quit tending the garden. And what happens when you quit tending the garden? The weeds grow everywhere. I didn't tend to and toil in the portion that I had. It's the same thing with life. 
We've been given this life. And it's important that we cultivate the life that God's given us. And if we're going to cultivate this life, <clears throat> that means that there's going to be some trials, there's going to be some toiling, there's going to be some hard work, there's going to be some difficulties. Are you going to choose to be happy with the life that God's given you? Or are you going to kind of just be like the world under the sun? Because what Solomon is simply saying here is just simply this. It's vanity of vanities to live this life under the sun and not be happy with what God's given you. It's meaninglessness. Well, sure it is. Why? Because God's not in it. And could it be that the reason why you feel like your life is so meaningless and you look around and you see all the injustice, you see that life is out of balance and you say, yes, and I'm hanging on the bad side of the balance. And you look out and you see that your life is hanging in the balance. I can't make any good decisions. I can't do things right. Ah, la, 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 la. Wah, 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 wah. Go get a cookie and some milk or something. Blah. Maybe it's because you're living your life under the sun. And when you come to think about it, like Solomon, there was a time in your life when you were closer to God than you are today. And the fact of the matter is simply this. The reason why you're not happy with your life is because you're not right with God. Let me show you this and I'm going to close. Over in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, remember, here is where Solomon draws his conclusions. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 1, remember... Remember now the Creator in the days of thy youth. Now, that's an important phrase. Now, I know that he's got a comma there, and he's going to go on and tell us why the, why the evil days come not, uh, nor the years draw nigh. He, he's talking about th that portion. He's talking about getting older. And he goes in this long list of things that happen when you get old. He talks about your teeth messing up, and he talks about your back humping over, and your legs giving out, and your arms aren't as strong as they used to be. We'll get into all that right there later. But he talks about getting older. But what he says there is remember when you were young and you trusted God. When you just you didn't have a problem trusting God when you was a kid. Who made this world? God. Well, prove it. I don't have to. God made it. Some of the strongest witnesses for Jesus Christ are children. I love these these children up here singing. Man, they just believe God. They just believe God. We get educated far beyond our own intelligence, and we don't we don't believe God anymore. Solomon says, "I got to remember when I was a kid." And I trusted God. Now watch this. Turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Here, here it is. I, wanna, I always try to end because we've got to keep it in context. I always try to end on verse 13 or in chapter 12. Why? Because here's the conclusion of the matter. Here's what Solomon says. You, you take all the things that he said in all these verses. And here's the, what, verse 13. Let me just read it. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let's take this thing all the way down. Here's what you've got to know. Number one, fear God. Number two, keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. You see that word duty there? It ought to be in the italics. Is it in italics in your Bible? If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you. You need to get a Bible. And all you need to get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you need to see me. We'll get you a Bible. You need to have a Bible. Words are important. And in the Bible, you see that he uses the word duty. It ought to be in italics. If it's in italics, shake your head up and down. Agree. Okay, y'all see it. Some of y'all get it. Good, thank you. So here we go. Did you know that that word duty is an implied word? When you look at the Hebrew, you won't find this word duty. It's implied. What he's saying is contextually in the context that's written here, this word duty is implied. 
And the, the implication here, it, what it's implying is, is that we got a job. Now, a lot of times we just trust Jesus Christ and say, man, I'm saved. And we walk out and we just, I mean, just like a, I mean, a leaf in the wind. We'll just blow whichever way the wind blows. We get any stability, any theological training, no discipleship, and we just go everywhere. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I live in the Bible Belt. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, there's no, there's no structure in our life because there's no discipleship. He says here in the text, we have a duty. What's our duty? Two, two things. Fear God. That's the Old Testament way of saying give your heart to Jesus Christ. Give your heart to Christ. The conclusion of this whole matter. I've tried to find significance, Solomon says, in everything. I put my everything, everything. And under the sun, I'm finding out that I'm just like the animals. They die, I die. But I'm going to stand before a righteous judge. Therefore, I've got to stand before him in the blood of Jesus Christ. Fear God, get saved. Number two, keep his commandments. Remember the commandments of Jesus? Jesus said a new commandment I give unto you. What are, we, what are we responsible for? Our theme here at Maysville Baptist Church, love God, love others, serve the world. We're trying to obey the commandments of God. Love Him with all of our heart, love others as we love ourselves, and serve the world as the Bible says in the Great Commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. How balanced is your life? Many years ago, there was an article that came out on a little magazine. They were talking about a little lady from Alabama. She worked in a nursing home. She made $700 a week. Uh, or excuse me, a month. She made $700 a month. Is all she made. She had a couple of kids. She lived in a shack. She worked at the nursing home. She changed bed pans, changed sheets, gave residents showers and baths. She did everything nobody else wanted to do. And with a seven hundred a month income, she could not even have electricity in her home. She could not have. She didn't have running water in her home. She had a squatty potty in her home. She didn't even have uh, a toilet in her home. And she raised her kids in that. She couldn't even afford a car, and she would have to catch a ride back and forth from work to and from work. And then when the days when the ride didn't come pick her up, she ventured off and, and walked. She says, I'd rather be late than not be at work at all, lose my job. They asked her one day, they said, why do you do this? $700 a month? Surely you could do something else. You've got some talent. You've got some things going on. Why, why, why are, you, why are you stuck in this rut? Oh, she said, it's not a rut. She said, I'm happy. You see, I love to see those residents smile. That's what I love. You know what that lady was saying? She's enjoying the service that God put her in. God put her in a job where she was able to serve. And it really wasn't about the money. God made provision for her. And the story article goes on there. There was provision made for her. But she, listen to this, she bloomed where she was planted. You know what some of our problems are? Some of our problems is we don't bloom where we're planted. And we get to a job and say, this is the stinkiest job I've ever been in. Man, I hate this. Everybody's mean and rude. 
Have you ever thought about this? Maybe God sent you to that job to be a ray of sunshine. You say, well, oh, I hate it. I, the drive's a blessed long past. It's terrible. I hate my job. I hate my life. You know, that's what Solomon said. He said it. He said, I hate my life. You know why you hate your life? It's because you don't know that your life has purpose. I'm going to close with this illustration, but I need some help. I'm going to go out on a big limb here. I need a $100 bill. Say, sure you do, preacher. No, I'm serious, I do. Anybody got a $100 bill? Anybody got a $100 bill I can borrow? I promise I'll give it back. I'm not a, listen, I am not a preacher. We hadn't even took up the offering yet. Surely somebody's got a $100 bill. Anybody got a $100 bill in the house? Thank you, dear brother. God bless you, Jason. You're special blessing. May the Lord bless your tribe. This is a real $100 bill right here, Chris. Wonderful. Now, let's just say I want to give it to somebody in here. That's easy for me to do. It ain't mine. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Who wants this $100 bill? Well, you just left your hand up. Who wants it? I know you want it, brother. All right, we can put them down. Now, wait just a minute. I know you want this, but how about this? Now, here's that same $100 bill. Who wants it now? So it ain't fresh and crisp anymore. Oh, I see you. You want it, don't you? Okay, you can put your hands down. Great. Okay, how about this? Stop moving. All right, now who wants it? Okay, fine. All right. How about this? <laughs> If I did, who would want it? <laughs> All right, now watch this. You know, you know why, regardless of what I do to this $100 bill, you want to know why you want it? Because whatever I do to it doesn't change the value of this $100. See, listen, God created you special. And whatever trial and tribulation and difficulty and hard times you've gone through, you may be feeling like this right here. But watch this. God says you're of great value. And you need to turn back to Him because here's the facts. Just like you want this $100 bill, He wants you. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've never trusted Christ and maybe you feel like your life is of no value. I've got good news for you today, dear friend. Your life is of great value to God. He values you so much. He sent His only Son to this planet to die for your sins. The Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You can be saved today. But you've got to understand that your life is hanging in the balance. If you're here today and you'd like to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you want that, if you want that knowledge, if you want that assurance that you're going to heaven when you die, then from your heart to God's heart, would you call out to Him? Would you say something to Him right where you're sitting? Would you say something like this right here? Would you say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. 
And I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sin and save me. Thank you for seeing me as valuable. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Now if you're here this morning, I'm not going to come in bear.